You're listening to Buzzing with Miss B, the coaching podcast, where we believe that every teacher deserves a coach, and every coach does too. I'm Chrissy Beltran, an instructional coach, resource creator, and coffee enthusiast. And I'm your host. Stay tuned for practical tips and honest coaching talk that will help you coach with confidence. Hey, coaches, and welcome to episode 49 of Buzzing with Miss B, the coaching podcast. I am your host, Chrissy Veltron, and today we are trying something different. I'm really excited about season two because I have some ideas on how to make this um, especially useful for coaches. And one thing that I have learned is that coaches love to hear other coaches talk about their problems. <laughs> it makes us feel like we're not alone. And also it helps us think of solutions or, or possible next steps that might be um, hard for us to see from within our little bubbles because we get so immersed in our own coaching work that it can be really hard to see beyond the way things are and what's going on at this time in our schools. So what I wanted to do is once a month about, I'm going to have a guest coach come on and talk about the problems. <laughs> We're going to talk through some of the issues that they're having and some possible next steps that they could try. I will not claim to solve any, everybody's problems, um, but I can certainly help them think through it and talk a little bit about what they could try next in order to see if they can get a different result than the one that they're having. So today is the first episode of this type, and that is why I'm super psyched. We actually have a guest um, all ready to go, and I'm going to introduce her as soon as, um, as we get our episode started. So listen to this one because we're going to be talking about uh, assessments and how to get teachers to think that it's important to norm those assessments, grade them, look at data, and then actually use that data to inform their teaching, which is a whole cycle, right, that we know a lot of teachers have not participated in that can really be valuable for their teaching. So uh, I want you to tune into this one, listen to the whole thing, because I think you're going to walk away with some really great ideas. So I would love to welcome today to the podcast, Christy L. Jerby. She is one of our wonderful coaches from Coffee and Coaching, our membership. And I'm so excited to have this conversation with her today to see if it gives you some ideas of things that you might try out on your campuses too. Christy, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. I'm very glad to be here today. Well, we are so glad to have you. You are my guinea pig coach. <laughs> my very first coach for this coaching conversation. When I put the call out, you responded within like seconds. So, <laughs> so you're the first one on the list. So we're going to see how this goes today. Um, would you like to introduce yourself, talk a little bit about, you know, where you coach, what you do, and you can also talk about how you ended up there if you like. Sure. So um, as you said, Christy Alderby, I am from Southern Indiana but I have lived in the Middle East for the past 30 years. And I teach at, uh, started teaching at the American International School of Jeddah, but I am now a literacy coach for the past 10 years there. Excellent, literacy coaching was my field as well. Whenever I was on a campus, that was really what I focused on. We did, I had reading, writing, and social studies. So, um, so literacy coaches have a special place in my heart because I feel like you have special challenges that a general instructional coach it's not quite the same because you have to be super knowledgeable when you're a literacy coach in those specific areas of best practice and literacy. And that can also be difficult because then you feel like you're pushing people to do a specific kind of thing. It can look different, but you know what the best practices are. So sometimes people are not buying into those practices. 
Right, yeah, and we um, are pretty tight on some practices and loose in other practices. Like we say we are a workshop school, so we expect workshop model happening and balanced literacy happening and um, having some guiding documents from Teachers College, but mm -hmm. then within that, making sure that we meet the students' needs, especially being an international mm -hmm. school, we have different needs than a stateside school with um, a large majority, I would say almost all of our kids are second language learners and multiple language learners. So uh, some of them come with to us with four or five languages. So we have a lot of um, considerations. That's always interesting. Um, the, a lot, the majority of our students that I work with are also second language learners. Well, well, I should say English language learners, because like you said, they could be multilingual. Um, but, uh, but it was in a, a city in Texas where the majority of kids were speaking in Spanish. So you could have a bilingual program that supported kids in their native language as well as in English. But whenever you're coaching kids or working with kids who are from so many different places, then it's very difficult to do that because you're not able to support that native language because it's so many different native languages. Yes, and we do have an Arabic program also that the students go to as a special about once a day. Okay. So we have that program for native speakers and non-native speakers. And then um, the main program is in English for all the subjects. Okay, how interesting. Um, and what grades are you working with? I work with pre-K through um, grade five. Okay, great. Okay, so you had mentioned whenever uh, you sent your email that you were thinking about assessment and that you were trying to get teachers to see some of the value around assessments and the different kinds of work with data. Um, would you talk a little bit about that, about what the issue is that you're seeing? Yeah, so we do pre and post assessments for mm -hmm. reading, writing, and math. And um, for the pre, of course, we're trying to see what the students know, what we, um, just getting some information to guide our, our unit. Mm -hmm. And so we have meetings around that and then we teach the unit and then we have the post. An issue is, as always, time, right? Because when we do the pre, we do the norming so that we can um, see what answers the children are giving that align with the success criteria mm -hmm. and um, how to place them on the learning progression. So that's a meeting in itself. Then the teachers go off and they do the placement on the learning progression. They come back, another meeting, we look at the data. And when we look at the data, we try to do a protocol called, here's what, so what, now what? Mm -hmm. So we're looking just at the data, the first swipe through, the first lens is just the data, just the numbers. And then we um, talk about our second lens is, well, why do we think that is? And then the third one is, how are we gonna plan with knowing this information? So I feel like the third one kind of gets left like to the end and we just kind of quickly, okay, we could try this and we could try that. And we don't really fully plan because we uh, expect the teachers to go off of the teacher's college unit, but we knowing that, okay, we don't need this lesson, we can take it out, or we need to pad this with like three extra lessons on main idea and supporting details because they just weren't getting it. So I feel like the planning is kind of left off and then they need to update their Atlas Rubicon, the curriculum documentation. And it's just like takes so much. And I feel like when we do that so many times for a pre and post for reading, writing and math and for every unit, mm -hmm. it's just hard getting um, everyone motivated and excited and, and seeing the value in it when it's yeah. taking up so much of their time. It can feel like you're just going through the motions 
Mm -hmm. like checking it off of your list. And that is a lot because you're doing a pre-assessment. Once you do a, a unit, then you do your post-assessment. And I'm assuming that pre-assessment is like very shortly after that. So yes. back to back. And something that I did for that was that we were feeling that, okay, that one's done and now we're starting another and it was too much. It was uh -huh. too much. And then I also knowing best practice was to give those uh, students an immersion period before uh, they do any assessments and before they like when they first start a genre instead of jumping right into lesson one let's immerse them in the genre so they can kind of switch gears yes even if, yeah like writing if they had just done you know a whole unit on narrative writing or personal narratives and then we give them the post and then they're supposed to do the pre for informational writing mm -hmm. we would just get a very poorly written personal narrative that kind of read like information maybe. Mm -hmm. So without that even immersion period, we weren't getting a good read on, like they need a little refresher, right? It would be hard for adults just to switch gears like that. I call it like a genre hangover, right? There's still kind of, <laughs> of the remnants yeah. of the other genre. So sure. that's given us some time also to, for us to relax a bit and look at those um, posts and then have time to switch our, our gears for the pre. I love that because it always has bothered me whenever we do a completely cold assessment because I don't feel like it shows you anything. Mm -hmm. And I can remember as a new teacher being told, well, give them a, just give it to them, just give them a prompt. And I was like, the first time I did it, I was like devastated because everything looked awful. And I thought, why did I do this to any of us? <laughs> like to myself, right. to them. You can look at it like, well, my posts are going to look amazing now, right? right? Because it was so bad. But it doesn't really give you information that's good to plan no. with. You know? Right. Like, well, All it shows you is that you haven't taught them yet. That's what it shows. You haven't taught them anything. You know, that doesn't tell you really what they could do with a little refresher. Um, and it does stress the, the kids out, you know. It stresses yeah. the students out. Yeah. Like, I don't know what you're talking about. And yeah. Just, and, and then it shows you that the needs are everything. So then right. you, what good is that information? You know, it's really not helpful at all. So I think that's a really, really great approach that you're using to give kids kind of a, a, an introduction. Is it just kind of like a brief int introduction to where they can try things out and kind of be exposed to it and then you do their, their pre-assessment? Yeah, some read-alouds and maybe even some, maybe just like one or two of the beginning units and mm -hmm. um, talking, just talking about genres in general, like how this would be different and just yeah. giving a little like refresher. That sounds great. Um, so how long are your units about? I'm sure they vary. They are longer than what they probably should be. Okay. Our, our teachers like to really stretch them out. And, <laughs> and then at the end, they're like, the kids are tired of it. And we're tired of it. I'm like, yes, it should be like six to eight weeks, but we're kind of dragging our feet. Oh, wow. Like, yeah, this time it's just seemed to be taking longer with like, we're 100% virtual. We have been since. Yeah like last March mm -hmm. and um, yeah, so it's, it's just, it, it, everyone gets kind of tired of it, right? So it'd be nice to have a little bit of a quicker pace so to keep everybody's interest up. Sure, maybe that's part of the issue is that by the time they get to that post-assessment, they're like, ugh, I'm over it. I don't even care. <laughs> I don't care how they did. I'm just ready to move on to something different. I don't ever want to look at this data again. I wonder yeah, if and something else I've noticed in that is it takes them like we are not um, like data expires. Right. And if we're yes. not looking at it, all that process takes a while. And if anything comes up to where it has to be even longer, 
Mm -hmm. It could be two weeks after the assessment of the end of that unit. And they're like, I don't, I don't want to look at it now. I'm, too, yeah. I'm like in the middle of information now. I don't want to look back at, you know, right. narrative. It's not relevant anymore. Yeah. It's not relevant. And so that's something to think about. If we're doing a pre-assessment and a post-assessment, do they have little formative assessments along the way? They do, but nothing, not, nothing formal. Does that make sense? Formal, yes. formative? Yeah. <laughs> like, we've not sat down and said, okay, after th these many units or these many lessons, sorry, that we're going to like do a check and this is how it's going to look. Okay. It's more about um, conferring and taking those conferring okay. notes and mm -hmm. maybe some exit tickets and things like that, but nothing that we've really formalized. Okay. That might be one thing to try out. Um, it's in such a long unit, a six to eight weeks already is very lengthy for one focus. It's great. It's beautiful. Um, most people don't have that, but it is a long time. So maybe chunking that and saying, okay, the first three weeks or two weeks, we're going to focus on the structure of a narrative piece. And the next two weeks, we're going to focus on revising, you know, for, um, for maybe not structure, but for, you know, writer's craft or for good beginnings and good endings. And then the last two weeks, we're going to work on editing skills or something along those lines and really having a focus for little chunks of that time. So that way they can do some kind of a, a, a little assessment throughout to where that data is relevant because they can immediately turn it around and say, okay, this is what we noticed from our organization piece. As I move into writing good beginnings, I'm really going to focus on what is the purpose of an introduction. It's going to help us move into the piece and that way we can spiral those skills throughout that unit. Um, and even building in specific intervention dates might be helpful. Um, right. so you can like that reminds me, we had actually thought about doing that mm -hmm. like pre-COVID and then oh, yeah. kind of flew out of our <laughs> <laughs> when the craziness hit, right? But that's a good reminder to me that, like, just look at parts of the rubric, even especially for yeah. writing. Look at parts of it because I did advise some of the teachers. We were looking at the reading assessment we were doing, and like, just focus on the main idea and supporting detail, and then we're going to check back on yeah. that, and then we'll move to the next part. Yes, absolutely. And that way they can spiral that skill back as they need to, or they can intervene with smaller groups of students if they need to. If, you know, the majority of kids are doing just fine, then you can work with those kids who really need it. Um, and it's not so draining, hopefully, because you're doing it a little bit at a time. I like the idea of focusing on the component of the rubric because they're like, okay, by the end of this unit, we're going to have taught, hopefully, all of these things to a, a pretty deep extent. But if we can say, you know, based on this rubric, we're going to focus on these elements at the beginning and we're going to check in and have, we're going to develop this assessment that we're going to use together. It doesn't have to be a whole formal thing, but maybe even just a piece and say, okay, let's sit and look at this writing sample together. Take the rubric. What do we see based on just what we've taught? Yeah. Yeah. I like that. That might be a little smaller also because a whole assessment, a post-assessment tends to be longer. Is it a whole piece, like in writing, is it a whole piece that they're producing? Yeah, for the, for the um, post, yeah. Yeah, and so maybe looking at everything at that point is just, I mean, I, <laughs> I can personally remember sometimes you work with kids so much and you confer with them so much. By the time they write the piece, you're like, I've seen this for like a week and a half and I am so done looking at this writing and I kind of know what's in there already, so I don't even want to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> that's, a, that's another issue that we're having is that we have the piece that has been scaffolded and supported and have conferring with the teacher mm -hmm. but then we do a post that is an on-demand and yeah. like we don't get the we don't get the 
best results, right? The kids are like, I'm done. I don't have any more personal narrative <laughs> to write about. I don't have any more interesting uh, fun facts information book I want to write. <laughs> Um, so, and then the scores are lower than they are with assistance, but on, even in the standard, some things say with guidance and support. Okay. Right. So yeah. we're also grappling with that though. So, like, of course, they're all pieces of the assessment puzzle, right? Right. So the on demand at the end with no support doesn't weigh more than what can they do with support. So. Right. Yeah. But it is a challenge. And, and that is true that part of, if we're going to give them an on-demand assessment, part of that teaching has to be how to do an on-demand piece of writing, mm -hmm. um, which is sometimes it's like, is this really, want, really where I want to invest my time? But depending on your structures, it can be necessary. For example, you know, I live in Texas and we love to test people here. <laughs> we love it. Oh my gosh, it's the worst. And so here, part of what we have to do is teach kids how to work through a piece of writing on their own without the supports and how to use their tools independently if they have access to tools how to you know remember what goes in a good introduction what you know what are some cool strategies we can use you know and we have to really kind of personalize that for children because they're all different and writing looks so different um we're talking a lot about writing because writing is so open-ended and anything can happen right <laughs> with reading there are fewer um options with writing they could do whatever they want on that day and so um, really developing that process with kids is part of what we have to work on, even though it maybe isn't the best way to use our time in like the world of writing, it is the reality for those kids. And we want them to be prepared to do that. So you do have to kind of decide like, okay, well, if on-demand writing is part of what we're expecting them to do, do we need to take some time to prepare them for on-demand writing? So we really get a picture of what they can do in that context. And I like how you said like, it's not in the world of writing, like as adults, we don't sit down to write something and someone tells you, you cannot have any support. Right. You go from start to finish, you got two hours. <laughs> yeah. You don't have any of the anchor charts that you were looking at. Forget mm -hmm. the world word law or cover it. Like this, mm -hmm. is, this is not a real world experience. It's really not. It's a lot of testing is not. And so I like the idea of having those formative assessments throughout the way because you can throughout along the way, because you can make that more real and responsive to what the kids are doing with the support. But then we also do want to see what they can do without support. So I think right. good balance is good um, as long as we're preparing them for all different kinds for all those different ways we're going to assess. Yeah. Do you think that the teachers would get behind having those formative assessments? Um, they were showing interest mm -hmm. pre-COVID when we talked about it. So um. Everything there was PD different back then. It's, it's such a, it's like a night and day experience right now. Right? Like, it's just like amuses me that like, I totally forgot about that until you mentioned it. I was like, oh, oh yeah. It's like, yeah, yeah, I see you already thought of it, but it happens. It's like it's going through this traumatic experience that just sucks all your brain cells out and you start over. I feel like with teaching in yeah. general, people had to figure out how do we teach now? What does that look like? And it was completely different. So yeah, anything that was new, that's oh, that's gone. Like we can't handle new stuff. We barely got to survive right now. Try to figure yeah, this out. Survival first, and then okay, let's pick up some pieces and figure out where to go. Yeah, put together a plan. Yeah, and and it sounds like you have a really great approach to that. I mean, I really love um, having that length of time for the different genres. It's beautiful. Are you reading and writing genres? I'm assuming that they're connected. Yes, for the most part, I would okay. say yes. 
That's great. Sometimes there's some strange ones that aren't, and we really don't like that. So we try to like throw it, throw in a unit of our own that matches up because it doesn't make sense if you're reading it and you're writing about it. It just builds on one another. Absolutely. Yes. We can use those experiences to support our writers and to support our readers. Yeah. Because kids who can write in a genre are going to comprehend it so much better. And kids who have good models in a genre are going to write so much better in that genre. And then you're only doing one mentor test, right? If you're getting yeah. different, different, different genres for reading and writing, yeah. having two mentor texts is just taking so much more time. Than yeah. Day. And it's so confusing <laughs> to the kids. Right. You're asking them to do a lot of going back and forth. Um, so I think that that might be one direction to go. It, do you have one thing that we did and this? I'm not saying to do this, but um, maybe to kind of think about we used to have like what, what this could look like in your context. We used to have what we would call a standing meeting and it was on the calendar every week. And if you didn't need it, you didn't have to use it. But if you did need it, it was there. So that way, if you're chunking your unit, like some units you may chunk into like the first unit, maybe, um, or the first mini unit might be a week long and the next one might be two weeks. And it kind of depends on, on the amount of time that it's going to take you to teach each of those little components of that unit. If you have a standing meeting on the calendar, then you're not having to call up a meeting every time you're ready to, to get together with your PLC and look at that assessment or look at that, that data. Yeah, I like that. We have, they have standing meetings for planning for okay. the grade level, but not with me. But something I did was better about this year is I knew that, okay, we need like these four meetings for this assessment. Let's mm -hmm. plan them all together instead yeah. of doing this part and then look for a date. Oh, when, we're, when will we do oh, the second part? Yeah. We just plan them all at the same time. And that really helped keep us all moving, moving along and getting things done. But I'd still like to tighten up that time frame a bit. Yeah, that was a really great way to start, though, I think, because absolutely it's always harder to sit together and look at a calendar and go, well, when can we do this? If it's on the calendar, it's on the calendar, and it's easier to take it off than it is to add on. <laughs> absolutely, yeah. So you mentioned, and this is a really common issue, and I have been there myself, that it's difficult sometimes to get to that next step component where you actually plan that, uh, you know, the next your plan for responding to that data. And that is, it is so frustrating because that's the last thing you do, obviously. And then it's also like the most important thing. It's the point of the whole session, right? Right. That's how the point. That's yeah, that's right. And so sometimes if they're walking away without that, it can, they might feel like, well, what was the point of that? You know, even if the intention is that they're going to finish it. So I wonder if there's a system that you could create that would help you get to that point. Shorter assessments might, might help. Um, right. You're just focusing on one thing. You might not have as much to go through and that might be helpful. Um, another thing might be having teachers arrive with something done that normally it takes a little while for them to do. Um, but it, maybe it's something I can do in 10 minutes on my own, but when I'm sitting in the group, it takes us 20. <laughs> you know? um, so that might be one thing that you could say, if you show up with this portion for your class already done, then we can move on and really make sure we get to that planning stage. Another thing that might work is putting that at the beginning of their planning meetings and having that, you know, the regular planning sessions, you said they had standing meetings for that. So having that be a regular part that they say, okay, we need to respond to this data. How are we doing it? How are we keeping this in mind as we move on to our other plans? That's good. Yeah, I like that. Which option do you think might work better? I think um, having them plan in that response to data in, in their team meeting. Like this okay. is, we have this data and we have some ideas for planning, but let's really look at the unit and see um, 
according to this data, what we need to, we might take out. Maybe mm -hmm. it's really important, but maybe we just are not going to get there to that lesson. Right. Like maybe it's too lofty of, some, of something that we have done before or that's in the unit because we need to spend more time on this other skill that's going to get us there later. Like how to kind of build units around that mm -hmm. and they could do that, that in those meetings. I like that. I like that a lot because it ties it to those upcoming plans. And sometimes what happens when we have a data meeting and we make a plan to respond to the data, then they go to a planning meeting and they're like, well, that's over. And they just like dump that other plan that you already put together. And then they plan their upcoming unit, but they don't build in that little response to the data that they created. So mm -hmm. that might be a good way to do it because it's fresh in their minds and it's all part of that planning process at the same time. Um, so they're less likely to forget it or, you know, just wipe it clean and start over. Right. And something I'd like to do because we started new reading assessments this year that we hadn't done before. And we kind of were, we were thinking about it and playing around with this assessment from uh, Teachers College, but we had never had formal assessments in reading where they responded to reading okay. in a written form. Yeah. That's just not really a part of the whole pro program. They do it like informally in their reader's notebook. But right. We really hadn't had like read this text and respond to these questions. Mm -hmm. So this is what we were doing and it was easier than doing and more manageable and because we could not do the DRAs or the BAS. It wasn't oh, yeah. uh, encouraged to do that by the by the test makers. So we had to find another way. How are we going to get like some data? We could do running records, but that's still in a virtual setting is taking much more time than in class, right? In class, you've got your child that you're working with and everybody else is busy doing something, but it's just more difficult in virtual. So um, we pushed forward with this where there's a text and four questions. And um, what we can do now is take that same text and use it and build mini lessons off of it and say, here was the text you were given, here was the answer that you, were, that you gave here is an, an answer that would score you like a four. How are we going to get there? Yeah. What, what do we need to add to your answer to get there? So I think um, we had talked about doing that, but we hadn't really fleshed out what that would exactly look like. So maybe sitting around and actually making mini lessons of yeah. how it's going to look like, um, what you're going to do with the students to show them here's where you are and here's some steps and scaffolding that's going to get you to the next step. Yeah. Like what's the difference between your answer and an answer meeting success criteria? Yeah. Yeah, that would be great. It would be, it would be more structured, a really structured approach. And, and we do, especially if teachers haven't taught in that way before, then that's something that the teacher has to really do a lot of thinking. They have to look at their students' writing and go, okay, well, what do I need to do? What many lessons do I have to teach in order to get these kids to this point? Um, so sitting and having that conversation, that would be a really valuable way to spend some PLC time because you're going to hear right. from teachers who have a strength in that area and others are going to be like, oh, I did not even think about that, you know? <laughs> so that's a really good way to, to spend, to collaborate. Yes. And this is, I think, also something that we um, can get better at is using the expertise in the room. Mm -hmm. We're not always saying, oh, like, because we're not doing so much work on the end on the post because oh we're already in this other unit and that's done yeah. and I don't you know, want to waste my time in the past um, we're not really saying oh look uh, teacher A's kids
scored better on this part of the test. Okay. Why is that? What are you doing in your classroom? Can you show us how you're teaching this part? Yes. So we're not using that expertise to like um, lift the level of everyone, right? And that's something yeah. that we could definitely get better at. I loved in one of your podcasted podcasts, you said, um, a learning community is lifting each other up to the best possible instruction by showing what, um, what our strong teachers are doing. And I think this uh -oh. is something that- I said that! <laughs> you did, you did. And <laughs> I thought, yeah, that's, that's an area that we could definitely grow. Yeah, I love that, that thinking. That's, that's a great way to do it. And that's a great focus for the PL. Like, it's a, it's a really good focus of work for the PLC to exemplify that, I think, because it's open-ended, because different people are going to have wildly different strengths in that area. Um, you know, what you could do also as you're, as you're going along through that process is you could start pulling exemplar pieces of writing from students. And so once you have a student, you can kind of build like a sample. You could even build a sample of each score point if you wanted, or certainly a sample of their stronger score points. You could say, this is what this looks like. We have agreed that this is a really good example of organization. This is a really good example of craft. This is a really good example of, you know, et, um, you know, proofreading skills or whatever it is that you're focusing on with your rubrics. And that way teachers have that model because sometimes it can be hard to envision, especially if our kids are not reaching the mark at that point, we might not right. be able to picture what it will look like when they do. So yeah. and then get them there. And we're thinking of doing in writing, doing like micro progressions based on each part of the rubric. So that's kind of what you're talking about, where if a second grader is doing a read, this is what like would meet success criteria. A third grader's lead yes. would look like a fourth grader's lead. And just doing it, not a whole written piece. There may be a whole written piece, but let's look at it yeah. like leads and um, endings and things like this. Right. Look at it across the grade levels. What would it look like? Yeah, I like that a lot. That's excellent. That's a great way to do it because it's so focused and you're pulling an example. A child does not have to be amazing at everything in order to do something really well, right? Writers are not all amazing at everything, but they might do something really well. So that way we can pull an example of that, have it as kind of an, as, as a model. And it's great for onboarding new teachers as well, or for teachers who are less comfortable with teaching writing, which is, in my experience, one of the subjects that teachers really have the least comfort with. <laughs> right, right. But it's the easiest one, easier one to um, coach, I think, because they don't have a background. They're like, please help me in this area. But if, um, if they're having difficulties teaching reading, reading's like very close to their heart. And if they've been doing it one way, it's, it's hard to coach into that. It can't, yeah, that's true. That can be. My experience was more in writing that teachers were so afraid to try something different that they clung to these really structured programs. Mm -hmm. And they were like, this is it. If, if, my, if, if I cannot use this, I can't teach writing. Right. And it was, I was like, this, there's so much more out there, I promise you. But it was, it was a hard move because they were, they were afraid. It was coming from a place of fear. Absolutely. But I think that professional learning community can be one way to buoy each other up. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So anything else that you would like to talk about before we, we close up? I think that I think given me lots of things to think about and little tweaks that we can do here and there. Okay, great. And I wanted to congratulate you on your first season. Oh, thank you so much. Your first season. How yeah. excited 
it was very exciting. I'm working on recording all of season two these weeks. So like this next couple of months. So um, it's, it's a lot, but I'm, I'm excited. <laughs> thank you. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining me today, Christy. I'm sure that people will walk away with some things um, that could be helpful to them and some things that they could think about. And I really hope that uh, you have some tools that might be helpful to you at your school too. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to Buzzing with Miss B, the coaching podcast. Want more coaching ideas? Check me out at buzzingwithmissb.com and on Instagram at buzzingwithmissb. If you love the show, share it with a coach who would love it too, or leave me a review on iTunes. It's free and it helps others find this show. Happy coaching. Happy coaching.